0: Well, hey, as uh, we saw in the video earlier, um, we got a team in Thailand right now, which is pretty exciting. Um, I know, well, Pastor Kevin and Pastor Tim are both there, and uh, I talked with my dad yesterday. He said they're having a great time. They went to an elephant show, and um, they, yesterday they got to go swimming with the kids, and tomorrow they're planning on taking the kids to the water park, so... Sounds like they're having a good time. We support about 55 kids on the other side of the world in Thailand in an orphanage, and uh, it's pretty unique, just the, uh, the relationship that we have with these people that are on the other side of the world, and it's pretty cool. And so uh, we get to, you know, we have that relationship, and we get to visit them every year and a half or so, so I've gotten to go before, had a blast, and I'm sure we'll hear more about next, more next week about uh, how that trip is going. Uh, we're in our series called Making Sense of God, and really the series is, is directed towards people who may be skeptical of Christianity and uh, that may have questions about the whole Christian faith. And uh, in, in reality, I mean, think about it, we all have questions. Okay, once in a while, we all have questions about the Christian faith and about the whole God thing, and, uh, and, and, the, that's, and that's the truth. I mean, we have questions like, uh, what's the most basic meaning of life? Um, what if I feel a certain way that seems contradictory to what the Bible actually has to say? Uh, how do I know that God really exists? How do I know that the Bible is true? How do I know that the Bible is actually from God? Uh, how do I, you know, I, I see suffering. We have all these hurricanes, and, um, you know, we got this stuff going on that we see in the world. You know how do we know, or in the we we have all this stuff in the world that we see pain and suffering. Um, where's God in all that? You know we have questions about that. How does science and Christianity fit together? And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to continue on in this series. We're going to continue on uh, answering questions um, like these. And this morning, we're going to look at the Bible. Now, um, I feel like the topic of the Bible is probably one of the most important topics in this series, the most important questions that we could really have answered. And because it's because it's the foundation of our Christian faith, All right? Think about it. If we don't have the Bible, then uh, we have no reason to believe in a God. If we don't have the Bible, then uh, we have no reason to believe that Jesus was God and that Jesus died for us, and, and we have no hope. If we don't have the Bible, our Christian faith has no foundation. We have no evidence to believe that it's true. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, we are going to look at two questions um, about the Bible. We're going to look at uh, is the Bible authentic? All right? Do we have evidence for it? Is it, basically, is it the same Bible, the Bible that we have today, is that the same Bible that was written 2,000 years ago and beyond? And then the second question we're going to ask is, is it actually from God? Okay, let's say that the Bible is authentic, that it's the same Bible that was written, you know, originally. How do we know that it's from God? All right? Is what is written down inside of it true? And so we're going to walk through this together. Um, you know, give me some space here. We, this is a tough, you know, fair warning, this is a tough Um, subject to cover in 30 minutes. Um, It is impossible to cover all these things. I've spent several years of my life in seminary um, looking at the Bible and uh, looking at the evidence for the Bible to see if it's true or not true, if it's the same as what was written originally. And uh, you just can't explain everything in 30 minutes. There's so much stuff out there, archaeology, you know, there's so much stuff out there that you can't go through. And so I'm going to ask you to stick with me all right. It's a little more of a drier subject, um, and uh, we'll we'll get through this. And hopefully, at the end, um, will you know maybe we'll have some questions answered. But hopefully, our, Christ- our faith is strengthened through it. As most of you know, I'm the student ministries pastor here at Grace, and uh, I I specifically work a lot more with high school students. And um, throughout this past summer in high school, on Sunday mornings. We've been going through just some awkward subjects, just some hard subjects that students have questions with, that students wrestle with, and so we've talked about um, the issue of homosexuality, we've talked about transgenderism, we've talked about abortion, we looked at the Trinity, just all this stuff that um, is kind of hard to understand, or, or you know, students want to know, you know, where is God in all this, what does God think, and uh, last week uh, we're talking about the subject of hell, okay, that's something that a lot of people don't like to think about. And so I'm studying, and I'm trying to get ready, and I'm going through the Bible and trying to read all the passages that talk about hell, and there's a whole bunch in there. By the way, Jesus talked a lot more about hell than he did about heaven. And so I'm reading all this stuff, and I'm looking at it, and the Bible describes hell a bunch of different ways. It describes hell as um, the lake of fire, uh, eternal fire, unquenchable fire, uh, a place of... um, eternal punishment, where people are tormented night and day, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, all this stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, wow, I really, really don't want to go there. You know what I mean? That sounds awful. That, you know, I, whatever, you know, I really hope that that's not where I'm heading. And so, and so this is what I think about. I, I this is just how my mind works. I start, I start questioning maybe just a little, Okay, before you judge me, remember, the disciples doubted the disciples questioned all the time. And so I question just a little bit, and I think about the odds. I'm like, "What are the odds that what I believe is true? Because think about it, there's tens of thousands of beliefs out there, and a lot of them have a place like hell in there. But what are the odds that, that the belief that I believe? It's actually true that Jesus died on the cross, that he died for my sins, that there's forgiveness. What are the odds that that is true? You know, how do I know 100% that what I believe is true? And so I start thinking about that because there's a lot at stake here. And you know what reassures me? It's truths like the ones we've been talking about in this series that reassures me. It's evidence like what we're going to be talking about today that reassures me and that gives me comfort that what I believe has to be true. And so uh, we have this book, right? It's written in three different languages, uh, approximately 40 different authors over a period of over 1600 years. And the question is, is it authentic? Okay. Uh, And, you know, by the way, you shouldn't just believe something just because somebody told you to believe it. Okay. You shouldn't believe something just because a pastor stood on stage one day and said, hey, you have to believe the Bible is true. Or your parents told you, hey, you know, honey, the Bible, is the, Bible is, is the Word of God. You shouldn't just believe something because you've been told something. You should believe something because you have evidence to back up your belief. Um, there was this one time in college, um, I went to school and in, a, in a town in a city in Virginia called Lynchburg. And um, me and my buddies, we found this website. It is weird. We found this website. And uh, it, had, it was called, like, Little Known Facts of Lynchburg. And so we're reading through this, and there's a bunch of weird stuff. And, and it has articles on this stuff, and it sounds true. It's written where it's like, this, could be, this is bizarre, but it could be true. And so we, we start believing it a little bit, where we, or maybe it's more we want to believe it. And we spent a bunch of time looking for these things. And I picked out, there's like maybe 30 of them. I picked out maybe my, my most favorite five. There's one called the Evingston's Lost Locomotive, the Wreck of the Gorilla Train. It's like where uh, where a uh, carnival train broke down in the woods and a bunch of gorillas got out and there's like the rumor that there's still gorillas out there in the mountains of Virginia. So we're like, and there's a picture. We're like, oh, we should go find that train. The Hiccup Man. This guy's he's had hiccups for over 64 years and no one can find him a cure. Uh, The next one, um, the Great Popcorn Blizzard of 58. You got this guy who they had like an explosion in his popcorn factory and it rained down six inches of popcorn everywhere. And then actually has this like twist where there's like these crows came and ate that popcorn and then they all died because they choked on the popcorn. I guess that happens. And then they had a big mountain of crows. Anyway, just weird stuff. And we're like, let's go find that. And Mags the Headless Cat, one of my favorite. The pictures are blurry because again, I had to pull this off. But as you can see, there's a straw out of its neck so it could breathe, I guess. But, uh, you know, I think I got one more. NASA, oh yeah, the NASA USGS rotational tuning facility, number nine. This is where, just in case the Earth gets a little out of orbit, just a little bit, NASA could turn on this rocket and it pushes it back into place. You know, we're like, let's go find this place. You know, we're dumb college students. We're like, dude, what if this true? You know, we need to go find this stuff. But what's funny is, uh, you know, We wanted to believe, but we had no evidence that this is actually true. I guess we had a picture, you know, and some some person saying it's true. We had no evidence that it was actually true. But in reality, that's how we view the Bible. Okay? A lot of us, we look at the Bible. We 100% believe that the Bible is true, but we have no evidence to back that up. We don't know any evidence to back that up. And really, it's contrary to what Scripture tells us. The Bible tells us that we need to be ready to give an account for the hope that's within us. We need to be able to, to answer questions about our faith. What's interesting is that people, a lot of people, and we probably all know people, that believe that the Bible is myth just as much as Mags the Headless Cat, you know? And so you shouldn't believe something just because you were told to believe it. And let's face it, the Bible has had a long time to get off track. I mean, think about it. The newest sections in Scripture were written 1,400 years before the printing press even existed. So these are hand copies that have been passed down, through 2,000 years. It's kind of like the game of telephone. We all know, you know, the game of telephone where you have one person on one end, it goes through a bunch of people, you know, he gives a message, and then at the end, it's different. It's just how we are as humans. We don't get everything right. There's some parts that are gone. There's some parts that have been added in. And so how do we know that that didn't happen to the Bible? We got to test the Bible's authenticity. And so there's two ways that we can do that. Number one, you need to ask yourself, how early is your earliest copy of the Bible, okay, that we, that we found from a long time ago? And then how many copies do we have? And so we can compare that test, we can compare that to other ancient books. And so I know, you know, we've gone through this a few times before in the past, um, but let's compare the Bible, or at least the New Testament, to some other ancient texts. Let's look at Aristotle's The Organon, which was written in uh, 340 BC. The earliest copy that we have of this work by Aristotle we have it was written around 1100 AD so that's 1440 years after the original and we have five copies okay so Aristotle's work we got five copies written 1440 years after the original Julius Caesar's the history of the Gallic wars written in 50 BC we have 1000 or we have nine copies that were written 1050 years after the original Okay, so that's, that's better. You have almost twice as many copies, and it's closer to the original um, by like 300 years. We got Homer's the Iliad. We've all heard of that, right? The Iliad. Yeah, some of us some of us know. Okay, all right. Uh, written in 800 BC. We have 650 copies, so way better. Written 1,050 years after the original. Written about 1,000 years after the original. So the authenticity rating... Of, uh, of Homer's The Iliad actually trumps Aristotle and Julius Caesar's by more than 70 times because we have way more copies and it's closer to the original. Does this, all, does this make sense? Yeah? Okay. All right. So no one doubts, by the way, no one doubts the authenticity of these, of these writings. Okay? Nobody doubts it. Everybody believes that what's in these writings are true and that they're probably the original. Nobody doubts any, no one doubts any of that, and everybody believes those. Now, how does the New Testament compare? The New Testament was written, all 27 books were written by the, by the year A.D. 90. 900 years after the original, which, by the way, is a good century before Homer's, the Iliad, we have copies for. So 900 years after the original, Homer had 650 copies. We have 5,000 copies that we have found... Of the New Testament, five thousand—way, way more, way more authentic than what we have of Homer's *The Iliad*. But that's not all. Three hundred years after the original, we have two complete, um, two complete manuscripts of the New Testament. Three hundred years—remember, Homer's was a thousand, was over a thousand years past the original. Uh, two hundred years after the original, we have uh, the full book of Luke, John, First Peter, Second Peter, and Jude. 200 years after the original. Now, the earliest fragment is a piece of John 18. Actually, that's a, a little bit debatable. In the, they've, you know, in the 50s, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, and so there's some, some fragments in there that some people claim are remains of, of parts of the book of Mark, um, but those are debatable because it's hard to tell, and you know, people debate about that. So, but the earliest copy that we know that we have for sure is uh, a piece of John 18 that was written less than 100 years after the originals were written. And by the way, this piece is identical to the translation that you have today. It's identical. It's the same thing. See, the New Testament is so much more authentic than Homer's the Iliad, Julius Caesar's the history of the Gallic Wars, and Aristotle's the Oregon. Oregon. Or, or, not Oregon. Or, Oregon. or Organon. Okay, organon. And so logical and common sense says that it doesn't even compare. All right, the, the New Testament is so much more, the authentic, authenticity rating on the New Testament is so much more than any other ancient work that we have. And what's funny is that we're still finding them, finding fragments and pieces all over. Like I said, the Dead Sea Scrolls found in the 50s, some of those were written 200 B.C. We have found every book of the Old Testament, except for the book of Esther for some reason, every book of the Old Testament was found in the, in the stash of the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, and it's not just one, it's not just like, hey, we found a book of Isaiah, we found a book of Psalms. No, they found 19 books of Isaiah, 19 copies of it. They found, 19, they found 30 copies of the book of Psalms. So you're thinking, okay, so they made a bunch of copies of the, of the New Testament. Let's say it's authentic. Let's say it's the same as what was written before. How do we know this historically accurate? I mean, how, how can we prove that? How do we know it's historically a- accurate? I mean, fair enough, let's look at that. Let, let, uh, give an illustration, I guess. Um, let's say last December I uh, I went to the theater in Fremont and I watched Star Wars. Okay, and I walked out of the theater and um, I witnessed a crime happen. Okay, so I get called to the witness stand, and uh, so a lawyer just says, "Hey, so Mr. Pinkerton, what happened? Can you tell us what happened tonight? night?" And I'd say, "Okay, well, um, I went to the 9:30 showing of Star Wars, and." Um, I, I bought some Whoppers because I have to have Whoppers when I watch a movie. And then I, after the movie, I uh, walked out and I, noticed, and I witnessed this crime happen. Okay? Any lawyer is going to look at the facts that I gave and find out if they're true or not. What would happen if the lawyer found out that there was no 9.30 showing of Star Wars at night? Well, I'd be discredited. Right? My testimony would be thrown out. It wouldn't count for anything stuff that doesn't even have anything to do about the crime. What if the lawyer found out that the movie theater in Fremont, they don't even sell Whoppers, which would be a crime, right? What if they found that out? Well, my testimony would be discredited. It would be thrown out, right? It's really the same thing with the Bible, because when these guys are writing the New Testament, these guys are writing as witnesses, right? And if their details are not true, it wouldn't take much for anyone of that time period to discredit them and their entire story. No one would believe it. Luke, for example, Luke's writings, he writes the book of Luke. He writes the book of Acts. He refers to a total of 32 countries, 54 cities, nine different islands. The guy is super detailed about his writings. He's super detailed. He's super historically accurate. You also got to take into account Um, that history tells us that almost all the New Testament writers died for what they believed. They died for it. They believed this so much that they found it worthy of dying for. And they went to the grave saying, no, 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 no. These things actually happen. They're true. What we wrote is true. You have to believe it. It's historically accurate. All right, let's say this. Let's say the Bible is authentic. It's the same thing That we have today is what was written 2,000 years ago. Let's say it's historically accurate. The next question is how do we know it's from God? I mean, think about it. None of us would argue that um, we know that men wrote these books physically. None of us would debate that. How do we know that that was from God? Just because someone thinks it's from God, that doesn't mean it is from God, it doesn't make it true. It's funny, in the Old Testament, God actually gives the Israelites a way to decipher between a true prophet and a false prophet. And I feel like we can apply this to the Bible. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 21, it says, "'You may say in your heart, "'How will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? "'When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, "'if the thing does not come about or come true, "'that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. "'The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, "'and you shall not be afraid of him.'" God is saying this. He's saying, hey, look, I'm going to send some prophets, and you need to do what they say. And and the natural question is, well, how do we know if the prophet is from you or the prophet is a fake? How are we supposed to know that? And God says, you need to look at what they say. If what they predict or if what they say comes true, then they're from me. If it doesn't come true, then it's not from me. It's a simple, um, it's really a simple fix to the problem. It's a logical line of reasoning, and it makes sense. And I feel like we can apply this to the Bible. Now, we don't have time, we don't have even close to an amount of time to go through all the prophecies of the Bible and look at, especially the Old Testament, and, and uh, look at what the Old Testament has to say that's going to happen in the future. Um, it, it, I mean, if you look at the Old Testament as a whole, it's written um, 39 books. It was written over an 1100-year period. Um, the last book, by the way, was written 400 years before Jesus was even born. Um, It's written by many different authors living in different generations who didn't know. Some of them didn't know what past authors wrote, and um, some of them, you know, obviously they didn't know what the writers in the future were going to write or going to predict. And you know what these guys did? They made predictions about the Messiah. Actually, they made a bunch of predictions, um, but let's focus on the ones about the Messiah. Things like he'd ride in Jerusalem on a donkey. He'd be betrayed by a friend. He'd be born in a tiny town called Bethlehem. He'd be called out of Egypt. He'd be sold for 30 pieces of silver. He'd be put to death. These were all predictions that were made hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. And there's a total of around 300 of these prophecies that were made. And Jesus, we find out in the New Testament, Jesus, he fulfilled all 300. And the probability of that happening is close to impossible. It's basically impossible. There's this guy named Peter Stoner. Um, he was an expert in probability. He's dead now. Uh, he was a professor. And so he uh, brought together around 600 of his college students, and, and uh, he was working on the probability. He said, hey, so what is the probability that Jesus would have fulfilled eight out of 300 of these prophecies? Just eight. And so he picked out eight, and we got the eight here. Um, he says, so, so he picked out these eight prophecies and says, so, you know, what's the probability that Jesus fulfilled all, for all eight of these? And he says, so Christ is to be born in Bethlehem. By the way, that was written 400 years before Jesus was born, and obviously a baby has no choice on where they're born, okay? Bethlehem is a tiny city, tiny town. Uh, Christ is to be preceded by a messenger. Christ is to enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Christ is to be betrayed by a friend. Next. Christ is to be sold for 30 pieces of silver. The money for which the Christ is sold is to be thrown to the potter in God's house. Christ is to be silent before his accusers. Christ is to be the, executed by crucifixion, kind of like a thief. And so he took these eight prophecies and he said, what are the chances that one man could fulfill all eight of these? And he came up with this number. I don't even know how to say this number, but it's one in 10 to the 17th power. So one out of something un, you know, trillion, you know, whatever it is, um, one in this number is, are the odds of that actually taking place, all right? To illustrate that, that's about the same odds as the Browns winning the Super Bowl this year, <laughs> all right? Actually, I was looking at the probability, which is very low. Um, that's like the Browns winning the Super Bowl this year, and with the same team, it'd be not only in this year, but the next 18 years as well. Impossible. Okay. Um, that's the same probability. He, uh, he then went on and he said, okay, what about this? What, what would be the probability, the mathematical probability of uh, one man fulfilling 48 of these 300 pro- prophecies? And so they got together, they did the math, and they said that would be 1 in 10 to the 157th power. This number, which I have there. So one with 157 zeros after it. It's unreal. All right, it's, it's, it's crazy. And that is the chance that any human could fulfill all 48 prophecies. Yet Jesus did it. The Old Testament was true. See, God has made his presence abundantly clear He has made his word, meaning the Bible, unbelievably true. He's given us a ton of predictions that we're correct, and he's given us a ton of evidence. And so the the natural question for us personally should be, so what do I do with it? Let's say the Bible is uh, historically accurate. Let's say it's authentic. Let's say that it is from God. So what? One of the most famous verses in the Bible, 2 Timothy 3, 14 says, you, however, this is Paul talking to Timothy, he says, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, by the way, by evidence, become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Next. Next one of the most famous verses all scripture is inspired by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and training in righteousness so that the man of god may be adequate equipped for every good work see that's the best part knowing that god inspired the scriptures knowing that the the bible wasn't man's idea it was completely God's idea. The Greek word there, it actually means and probably most of us have heard this it actually means "breathe out." God literally breathed out these words." And because of that, Paul's saying, "Hey, it's useful for us. It's useful. It's useful for teaching. It's useful for reproof, which is basically showing us our fa- failures, our mistakes, um, exposing our errors. It's useful for correction, restoring one's belief with the truth. And it's useful for training. But the only way you can benefit from the Bible is by reading it, taking it in. Probably a lot of people in this room, maybe even most people in this room, we don't do that. Probably most people in this room, we ignore it on a regular basis. Maybe not on Sundays. But the fact is that we got a copy of, the, of God's Word in our house. And if you don't, by the way, take the Bible that's in the rack in front of you and take that home. But uh, we have this copy, and we, we just don't think about it. Life gets in the way. We get too busy. And we just ignore it. How many of you guys have ever tried to put something together without directions? Yeah. All the time. Hate reading directions. Um, last, uh, Last Wednesday, we had our big back-to-school bash for a few student ministries, and uh, it, it went well. But one thing that we did is uh, last, well, a few months ago, we bought some ice cream machines, and uh, we want to, our, our theory is, you know, our goal is, hey, we want to give out some, we want to give out free ice cream because it's cheap, by the way, and, uh, you know, give out ice cream to the kids and so that kids can bring the friends and, you know, that type of thing. And so we bought these ice cream machines. Now, none of us have any experience with ice cream machines. We don't know what we're doing, okay? We're just like, yeah, I'm trying to figure it out. You know, people can make it. High school girls can do it at Dairy Queen. We can probably do it, you know? Um, but uh, so we get these, these ice cream machines. The guy who I bought them from, I, he showed me how to put everything together, and I, because I'm a smart guy, I recorded it on my phone, watched him do it. And so, um, so I have that on my phone. I have the directions, But of course, me and Luke, we go over there last week, and and we're trying to put these things together, and they come with pumps, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to put this pump together. And of course, we're not going to watch the video, you know. We're not going to look at the directions, because that takes too long. You can see the parts. We're men. You know, we could do this. So we start getting all these parts, and there's like 20, you know, there's a whole bunch. We start getting all these parts. We start fitting them together. It looks like, it looks right. And we put it into the pump. And uh, everything eventually fits after we jammed on it a few times. And, you know, yeah. But uh, so everything fits. And uh, so we're we're feeling pretty good about ourselves. And then we turn the thing on. And it, like, works a little bit. And uh, there's, like, water squirting out one end. And there's, you know, because we were pumping water through first just to see if it works. There's, like, water squirting out. It's making an awful noise. I'm like, and and so what do we do? Because we're men. We go, the pumps don't work, they're broke. It's the pump's fault, right? Not our fault because we put it together right. Like, oh man, this guy sold us bad pumps. And, uh, and, and so we left. And then later, later, like the next day, I came back and I'm like, ah, I should probably try give it another try. And so I, I watched the video. And it's funny is I'm, I'm watching this guy's video and he's like, hey, and I'm taking apart this pump. And he's like, hey, if you don't have this little rubber sleeve, the thing will not work. Or if you don't have this little O-ring, the thing will not work. You have to remember this. And I'm looking, I'm like, yeah, I didn't have those. You know, I'm missing a bunch of parts. I don't even know it. I was missing a whole bunch of stuff on these pumps. No wonder they didn't work. It's funny is that we expect to put together our lives and we don't read the directions of how to do it. And then we don't understand when it doesn't work. You know, not only has God given us directions— But he has provided us with so much evidence that that the directions that he has given us are truly authentic, that they're historically accurate. It's the same Bible that was written 2,000 years ago. Not only that, but he has also given us evidence that these directions that he has given us are truly from him. See, God has given us answers to our questions. We can be reassured that what we believe Is 100% accurate, 100% true. We can find comfort in that. We don't have to question it. I mean, think about it. The odds are too great. The probability is too astronomical that we can't even comprehend the numbers of the probability that the Bible is true and that our belief is correct. And so, really, what we need to do, and my challenge for you this morning, is simply to use it, use the directions read it allow god to speak through you or speak to you through the bible use it let's pray dear lord we thank you for loving us we thank you for caring for us god we thank you for giving us the bible you didn't have to give us the bible we thank you for loving us enough to do that for us and we thank you for giving us all this evidence to show us that it's right, that it's true, that it's authentic, that it's historically accurate, that it's actually from you. Lord, we love you, and we praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you're dismissed. We'll see you back next week.